Amen, amen. Thank you, James. Probably the first song I've ever heard, especially a worship song that had Lula in it. Y'all with me on that? But uh, appreciate James and him leading worship. They do that all three services, and we're very blessed to have them. Y'all let them know how much you appreciate them as they head back to their seats. And so this past week, yeah, I went to Disney World and uh, tried to convert Mickey. It didn't go so well. The line was too long. And so... Uh, Y'all pray for him. But we did have a great time. You know, we actually uh, had the opportunity to ride uh, one of the roller coasters there uh, called Space Mountain. I don't know if you've heard of Space Mountain before, but that was actually the very first roller coaster I've ever ridden in my life. It's the first one that Krista, my wife, had ever ridden, the first one that Garrison, my son, had ever ridden. And so now it was Maddie's turn. Maddie was scared to death. Are y'all listening? And so what we did was first started on a guilt trip. We drove all the way down here, you sorry sissy. Get on the roller coaster, right? The guilt trip didn't work, so then we moved to a little inspiration. And then we started telling her the story about, hey, I remember, uh, I remember, I actually told her this, I remember I stood in this same line with my mom as she carried me on the roller coaster. My dad was somewhere crying. But we went on the roller coaster together, and Krista shared the exact same story about how that was her first, first time. And finally, Maddie got on the ride, and she loved it. And then she got on it again, she loved it. And then I'm like, let's get in the car, we're going home. You with me? <laughs> But I just need a little encouragement, a little inspiration. Well, you know what? All of us need a little bit of that. Every single one of us need encouragement. Matter of fact, uh, just like a garden needs water, just like a car needs gasoline, you and I in our walks with Christ need to be encouraged. You know, Isaiah actually knew people needed encouragement. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 53.3. He says, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the weak. And then the Hebrew author in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12, he says it like this. He says, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. So even in the Old Testament, we see that individuals needed spiritual inspiration and encouragement. Now I'll shoot you straight. I need some of that quite often in my life. Uh, be honest with you, there have been times in my life when I've just been spiritually burnt out. You ever experienced it before? You just get exhausted, you're wore out. Spending time with the Lord seems more like a duty than a delight. Uh, spending time in prayer seems more like a task or a job as opposed to a genuine, authentic relationship with the Lord. There are times that I experience that, and I just need somebody to come alongside and really inspire or encourage or lift me up in those times of absolute difficulty. And you know, even some of you, you came to church, and we're glad you're here today. But some of you are discouraged. Spiritually, you're exhausted. You may actually be what we call burnt out. And what is it that causes that? You know, you may have it, but what is it that really makes that happen in your life? There's at least a few things that often cause people to become spiritually exhausted. Uh, some individuals just face a trial in their life, and as a result, it knocks them off course. In fact, you may have lost a loved one, and you now are spiritually exhausted. You may have lost a job and you're spiritually exhausted. You may have had a ministry opportunity that did not pan out the way you thought it was going to. And as a result, you become discouraged. That trial has washed over you like a massive wave. And now you are spiritually despondent. Or maybe it's not a trial, maybe it's a sin. And so you face the same sin over and over and over again in your life. And you seem to always say yes to it and not no. And it seems to always trip you up. That's why the Hebrew author in chapter 12 says, lay aside the sin that so easily entangles you. And so that sin causes you to walk around with a guilt complex. And as a result, you're spiritually burnt out. 
So it may be a trial, maybe a sin, or check this out, it could even be a hurt. Or maybe you're involved in ministry and even in a church setting, right? You can be serving the Lord, but somebody come and say something to you that cuts you deep to the core. And as a result, you become discouraged. Your feelings are hurt. Or maybe somebody in your family, they're God-honoring or supposed to be Christ-centered followers of Jesus, and they said something to you that was so cutting that it put you down and totally disappointed you. And as a result now, you are discouraged in your faith. And as a result, you need what I needed. And that was inspiration. That was encouragement. Well, good news. This entire month, we're going to focus on inspiration, the amazing effect of motivation in the body of Christ. Throughout this entire month, my prayer is that you, as well as myself, will all excel still more in the concept of encouraging one another in the body. The way that we're going to look at this is we're actually going to look at Paul the Apostle's relationship with his young protege, Timothy. And Paul had the opportunity on many occasions to actually inspire and encourage Timothy. Now, I don't know if you know this about Timothy, but Timothy is much like you and I. Uh, he faced great times of discouragement in his walk with the Lord, times that he actually wanted to give up. And Paul writes two letters to him, one 1 Timothy, one 2 Timothy. And both of these letters are written to inspire and encourage. Now, I want you to know this too, all right? Naturally, all right, naturally, people lean towards criticism and negativity. That's the natural response. But here's what I want you to see. You and I at Concord actually want to not live a natural life, but we want to be a people who are leaning in to lift others up. We want to be a people that are always seeking to encourage others in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to see how to do that as we see Paul's relationship with Timothy. And I absolutely love it. I don't know if you know much about Paul and Timothy, but uh, Paul actually ran into Timothy for the first time in Acts chapter 16 on his way to Lystra. And whenever he runs into Timothy, he hears that Timothy has his walk with Christ, that he's a follower of Jesus, and he's very excited about that. And Timothy actually has a Greek uh, father and a Jewish mother, and so for him to come to faith in Jesus Christ was just a supernatural miracle in and of itself. And so Paul meets Timothy, and through conversation, they decide that they're actually going to partner together in ministry. Timothy's going to go with Paul on many of his journeys as a missionary to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to help make disciples in other places. And so that's exactly what they start doing. Now, in Acts chapter 16, after they meet and decide, yes, they're going to go and do mission work together, the first thing that Paul had done to Timothy was to have him circumcised. I thought I'd just pause there for a minute. Isn't that crazy? First thing, to be circumcised. What does that teach us? Here's one thing it teaches me. Ministry is going to be difficult. Y'all all right? So it is not easy, man. But the reason he has him circumcised is because they're about to go and share the gospel with Jewish individuals. And Jewish individuals in that particular day would not listen to those who were uncircumcised. They saw circumcision as a sign of the covenant between God and Israel. And so in order for Timothy to not be a stumbling block for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the first step was to have him circumcised. And that's what they do. And as you begin to follow the life and ministry of Paul and Timothy, they go on mission uh, opportunities together, sharing the gospel, planting churches, being persecuted, all of these things happening with one another. So much so are they linked 
think together that Paul says about Timothy in Philippians 2 and verse 20 that they are of kindred spirit. In fact, Paul says that nobody like Timothy has a kindred spirit with me. He's saying nobody in the entire world has a soul like mine, emotions like I do, except for Timothy. Nobody on the globe, the planet, has a mind like I do, except Timothy. So Paul and Timothy, you and I would say they are cut from the same piece of cloth. And they encourage. And Paul especially encourages Timothy. And I'll tell you this in a couple of weeks, but let me tell you this now as well. Second Timothy is the letter Paul writes just before his death. And on the fourth missionary journey with Paul and Timothy, what Paul does is leave Timothy in Ephesus. And Timothy now becomes the pastor of that particular church. And he needed some encouragement. And Paul gave it to him in 1st and 2nd Timothy. And this morning we're going to look at uh, 1st Timothy chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open that with me if you will. 1st Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, as we look at how Paul the Apostle really encourages his young protege Timothy. And as we do that, we're going to learn how to encourage one another. So 1st Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. You've got it there in front of you. Say yes. Verse 12, the Bible says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. And then check this out. I love this verse. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that all your progress will be evident to uh, all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure both salvation for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning and pray that you would help us to excel still more in the context of encouraging one another here in the body of Christ. And we will give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So you can be seated. So let me kind of tell you what we're going to do, all right? Next several Sundays in the month of June, what we're going to do is look at excerpts from First and Second Timothy and see how Paul actually inspired Timothy. And then what we're going to do is actually take those particular moments in Paul's inspiration to Timothy, and we're going to talk about how you can now inspire other people in the same way. So this morning, only two things that I want to give you that Paul does for Timothy in inspiring him. Two major points. Here goes the very first one. Paul is saying, in essence, to Timothy, don't get tripped up by haters. Don't get tripped up by haters. Now, hater, by the way, is a very common word used in our modern-day vernacular. Have you ever heard of the word hater say yes? If you have not, don't be hating. I just came to me. But anyway, so a hater, I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary. Let me tell you what a hater is. It is a person uh, who hates another person. The hater wants to knock someone else down a notch. And they even give an example uh, of a hater in the dictionary. Listen, listen to this. Susan comes to Jane and says, you know Kevin from accounting? He's doing very well. You know, he just bought a house in a very nice part of town. Hater Jane responds like this. If he's doing so well, why is he still driving that 89 Taurus? Now, if you drive an 89 Taurus, it'll be all right. 
but hater James. She was knocking him down. And that's how individuals even live today. And Paul knew that Timothy had his fair share of haters. In fact, uh, one of the primary reasons that Timothy was hated on was because of his age. Did you know the culture that Timothy lived in was one that equated age with wisdom? So they thought the older a person was, the wiser a person was. The younger a person was, the less wise they were. Now, most scholars believe that Timothy, as a pastor at the church of Ephesus, was in his mid-30s to his late 20s. So you can imagine uh, Paul the Apostle writing to Timothy saying, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youthfulness. It's because, and you, you can see this in your mind's eye, Timothy, they have church and maybe they have some visitors show up and maybe some of the visitors are a little older and they see this young guy out there and they're like, what in the world is going on in this place? They, uh, listen, it gives the idea of looking down, it means to hold with contempt or to snub your nose out. So you can see people, they would lift their nose up to him as if, who is this young fella trying to lead here. And in doing so, they would actually be putting him down. So that's what Timothy was experiencing as a pastor. And you can imagine if you are in a, a leadership role and you're continually being berated, how difficult that ministry would be. Now, I, I would tell you, I don't have to imagine this at all. Y'all haven't realized that I'm a young guy. Have y'all pictured this here? I'll tell you this though, when I was a, a youth pastor for the very first time, I was 19. First time I was ever a lead pastor of a church, I was 23 years old. And I almost had a nervous breakdown one time because I started thinking, I'm 23 and I'm fixing to go pastor people who are two, three, and four times my age. Oh, yes, we had a hundred and something year old people in our church. <laughs> but you know what? God used this verse to help me. Matter of fact, I committed it to memory. Don't let anybody look down on you because of your youthfulness. But set an example in your speech, your life, your love, your faith, and your conduct. Be an example. This verse helped me. Paul was helping Timothy by saying, don't let people look down on you. Here's what I've learned. We cannot allow the opinions of others to dictate our faithfulness to Jesus. Now, look at verse 16 because he says it again. I want you to, well, I'm going to read it a hundred times. But don't let anyone look down on you because of your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So Paul says, check it out, be an example. Now, what does this mean? Here's what it means. It means be a copy of Christ. Be a copy of Jesus Christ. And then he gives those five areas. So it says, here's how you can be a copy. Be a copy in your speech, that is, keep on speaking the truth. And then he says, be a copy in your conduct, that is, live your life, Timothy, in such a way that you exemplify a Christ-centered life. And then he says also that you would be a copy of Jesus in your love. It gives the idea of extending yourself out to the point of exhaustion in loving individuals, even loving those who are acting with contempt towards you, extending yourself. You know, we stood in a lot of lines this past week. And uh, one of the lines was to go to the rock and roller coaster in uh, some Hollywood studios or something. And Gavin wanted to get on it with us. So Gavin goes up, and y'all know how it is. You got the little measuring stick there, and the little kids want to ride, right? So Gavin gets up under that thing, and he's a good three inches too short, you with me? But as soon as he gets up, it's amazing how far that boy can stretch. He'd be lifting up like this, lifting up like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty shocked how far I get. But he couldn't hit the thing, and they said, you can't get on the ride. Apparently, all your dreams don't come true. 
That's a Disney World thing. Shattered. <laughs> but anyway, as I, as I thought about him stretching up, I thought about that's the picture of how we ought to love each other in the body. So be a copy of Christ that we are stretching ourselves out to love one another. And then he says, be an example in your faith. That is, regardless of what others are saying, keep on trusting in Jesus Christ. And then be a copy in your purity. That is, live a morally clean and pure life. So, Timothy, listen, I know people are hating on you, but do not let people get to you because you're young. You keep preaching the truth and you keep living the truth and the Lord will take care of you. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. And really, that's the same thing for us as well. Every single one of us are going to face haters in this life. They may look down upon us for a variety of reasons. In fact, we've got to make sure that we don't let another person's thoughts or another person's actions toward us keep us from being a copy of Christ. We should seek to set an example for all believers, regardless of our age, our gender, our status, or even our past. Be a copy of Christ. And listen, Paul, uh, like Paul, you may know someone who is looked down upon, someone who is discouraged, someone who for whatever reason in the body of Christ has kind of fallen off track. They might be in your community group. They may have been a part of a grow group that you were involved in. But you know God has brought them to your mind that those people are discouraged. They are disheartened. Listen, this is your role now to step up, to walk alongside them, and seek to encourage them, lift them up, strengthen them, and inspire them. For some reason, you and I actually have to go to people and say, hey, man, don't let haters trip you up. Keep on keeping on. And that's the challenge that Paul gives to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down upon you. Now, here's the second thing that Paul really does say to Timothy. He just says it like this. Don't give up your gift. Do not give up your gift. And this is huge, right? I found that when I face discouragement uh, in my own life, that one of the first things I start thinking about is quitting. It's like, I just, just quit. I just give up. I throw in the towel. I stop doing this thing. It's pretty amazing. You know, you know, if you actually read this and there are I don't know, some surveys out there that found this out, that most vocational ministers who quit their job, you know when they quit? They quit on Monday morning. Now, why in the world would they quit on Monday morning? Because they just got beat up Sunday. Sunday didn't go too well. Maybe their crowds were down. Maybe somebody said something cutting. Maybe the enemy attacked them. And then Monday, they're so dragging that they say most of them actually write out their resignation on Monday. And they quit. But let's shoot straight. Look at me, all right? Y'all still with me? Say, yeah. Now, some of you are involved in ministry here, and I'm thankful for you. But hadn't there been times, maybe as a community group leader, or maybe as somebody who's serving in the children's ministry, the nursery, or student ministry, maybe even the music ministry, maybe even up here playing an instrument, where you served and you gave yourself up, but nobody came alongside and really encouraged you? Or maybe somebody actually says something negative to you. And so cut you down what you're thinking about. Now, let's be honest, right? You've just said it before. I'm quitting this thing. I'm out of here. Y'all don't look spiritual out there. You've said it before. I've said it before. 
Right? We face this. And I believe that's exactly what Timothy is facing as well. He's being berated. Paul says, don't let them look down on you. Don't let haters trip you up. And now, listen, he says, in, and I love it. Let's just read it together. Look at me. Verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. So here's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Do not give up your gift. Now check this, all right? Paul would not say this to Timothy unless Timothy was actually thinking about stopping. So now Paul wants to encourage, don't give up your gift. And then he calls his mind back to the time when all of the presbytery, that's another word for elders, uh, the pastors of the churches, they all got together and they gathered around young Timothy and they laid hands on him and they prayed God would use him. And in the context of that prayer, someone spoke out prophetically a word about Timothy's life saying that he would be a pastor, leader, and shepherd. So what Paul is doing is saying, Timothy, don't you remember we all prayed for you. Don't neglect that gift that was given to you. That was the challenge. And that word neglect, it means to fail to do something. Don't fail to do what God has gifted you to do just because some haters come along. Now, first ministry experience I ever had was difficult. All right? Matter of fact, I was uh, 19. I saw a posting at the college that said youth pastor needed. I was like, I'm going to call that number. And uh, before I knew it, I was serving on staff at the church. But what I did not realize was that the church I was serving on staff at was a liberal church. All right, liberal in the sense that they didn't believe the Bible to be God's word. Uh, they didn't believe Jesus necessarily was the only way to salvation. There were a lot of like whacked out beliefs at this particular church. I didn't know that, right? So I go in Wednesday night, student ministry events. So what do I do? I just get up and start preaching. Some students start giving their heart to Jesus, and uh, they wouldn't baptize all of them. Some of them they weren't real fond of being at the church because they were a different color. And so as a result, all of a sudden I knew I was sitting in these meetings getting berated, get, getting in trouble. Here, here's um, one I'll just tell you about making jaw drop. That don't. Something's wrong with you. But anyway, so I, I was sitting in there, and the, the question was, what, what are you doing on Wednesday nights? Preaching. What, what are you preaching? I'm just preaching through books of the Bible. I, I think I was in Ephesians at that point. Just preaching through these books of the Bible, just telling everybody what the Bible said. Well, listen here, Levi. This is what they tell me. Uh, you're going to stop doing that. I was like, what? Yeah, you're going to stop. Here's what you're going to start doing. They took a book, and it was thrown I think they meant to throw it to me, but it seemed like it was thrown at me. So I catch the book, open it up. The first lesson in the book is how to write an essay paper. So I, I'm looking at it, I'm like, and there it is, intro, body, conclusion. I said, you want me to tell them how to write an essay paper? Yeah, yeah, here, here was the response. You're either going to teach that, or you're not going to teach anything at all. <laughs> Y'all all right? That was my first ministry experience, man. Basic, I didn't, I just left, right? I said, well, I guess I ain't teaching nothing. So I get in the car, call my mama. <laughs> hey, mama, I think I just got fired. <laughs> I don't know what just happened. But here's what took place, right? My hometown church pastor from Marietta calls me on the phone. Levi, how you doing, man? I said, I'm all right. I need a job. But other than that, I'm good. 
He says this. Here's what he says to him. I, I just want you to be encouraged, man. Here's what I want to tell you. He says, don't give up. You know what my home church pastor was doing? The exact same thing that Paul was doing to Timothy. And then, listen, he says it to me, don't give up. And now, here's what I'm saying to you. Don't give up your gift. At the moment you came to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says God gave you a spiritual gift to exercise in this body. You're a member of this body now, so you should be serving. And whenever you serve, everybody benefits. Don't give up your gift. Don't throw in the towel. Be encouraged. And I'll tell you straight up, man, our family, all right, our family, the Skipper family, has been overwhelmingly blessed by the ministry of Concord since we've been here. Think about, I just think about our children, right? All right the first person I baptized when I got here was Garrison. Maddie's come to faith, Gavin as well. Uh, they're involved in Awana. Uh, they're involved in small community groups on Sunday morning. They're involved in children's church, uh, children's choir. They're being invested in, invested in. Man, their spiritual maturity has a large part to do with the fact that some of you are using your gifts here. And man, I thank you. And my wife's involved. She's in the choir. She does the women's ministry. She's teaching Sunday school. She's being invested in, grow group leadership. All of these areas that she gets to be plugged in, and she's being encouraged by some of you. So why would I not look at you and say, thank you, please don't stop. And if you do stop, my family's in trouble. Don't give up your gift. The Bible says it, um, 1 Peter 4.10, and I love the text of Scripture, as each one has received a spiritual gift, employ it in the body of Christ. Being, check this out, a good steward of the manifold grace of God. So here's the idea. The manifold, the multicolored grace of God has chosen to give you a spiritual gift, you a spiritual gift, you a spiritual gift, you a spiritual gift. And as you serve, employ it. That means put it to work in the body. You help everybody grow in their faith. And when you don't, you hinder everybody. Employ it. Don't give it up. Don't stop. I think about uh, people who serve in our church, you know. And you, you remember the sandwich boards, right, that people sometimes wear and they got messages on them. Uh, I almost wish that, that, like, we could see sandwich boards on people and written across the sandwich board will be what they were really feeling. And the reason I would like that is because I guarantee you, you would have come to church this morning, you may have seen a guy out there serving in the parking lot ministry, maybe somebody here in the greeter team, maybe somebody here in the nursery, the children's ministry, maybe the student ministry, maybe the music ministry, maybe over here in our adult uh, uh, grow groups and our adult community groups, you may have seen leadership and on the front of their sandwich board it says, I'm discouraged. Uh, or maybe it reads something like this, I'm just about to give up. Listen, if you, if you and I could see that, I think we would rush to encourage people. Are, are y'all down with that? Could you imagine what that would be? Could you imagine how many people are about this close to throwing the towel in? And all they need is someone like you, someone like me, just to come alongside and encourage the fire out of them. Don't give up your gift. Don't do it. So the staff and I, we're reading a book, right? As a staff, we do that uh, throughout the years. And uh, we've, we've got this book. It's awesome. It's actually encouraging us to be encouragers. 
But there's something in it that uh, I just typed out that I thought was phenomenal. I want you to listen to this. Are y'all with me? Say yes. Um, following the Korean War, Major William E. Mayer, check this out. He studied 1,000 American prisoners of war who had been detained in a North Korean camp. He was particularly interested in examining one of the most extreme and perversely effective cases of psychological warfare on record. Now, everybody, listen, this is awesome. Or unbelievable, I should say. A thousand prisoners of war, check this out, not many of them, very few, were physically tortured. But of the thousand, 38% of them died as prisoners of war. Now, how in the world? That's what they were studying. They were studying, why are all these prisoners dying, but they're not being tortured? What's going on? Here's what he discovered. He found out that the prisoners were being placed in a mental, solitary confinement cell. No steel, no concrete. Mayer discovered the disease that they had was a disease of hopelessness. No hope. Matter of fact, in the book, it says it like this. It it was not uncommon, listen to this, for a prisoner to walk into his hut, take a blanket, put it over his head, and in two days, die. What in the world's going on here? Here's what the prisoners who were still there called the disease. They called it give up itis. Because what was happening was, the prisoners were being psychologically tortured. Here's a few ways that they did it, all right? They would actually receive mail at the camp for the prisoners. But the uh, North Koreans, they would look at the mail, and if there was anything positive to go to a soldier, they would take it out and throw it in the dump. But if there were anything negative, they would be real quick to give it. In fact, they would give notes that read like this, uh, Dear Husband, I have stopped waiting for your return. I have lost hope. I plan to remarry. They would rush that to the soldier. Or here would come another. Dear soldier, uh, your, your mother has just passed away. Her funeral will be held this week. They would rush that to the soldier. As a matter of fact, I actually read that they would rush to the soldier overdue bills from back home. So here they are, they're sitting there with hopeless feelings, overdue bills coming in, negative letters coming in, all of this psychological warfare, so much so that they just give up. 38% of them died. And then I started thinking, you know what? Bottom line is this, right? There is no way in the world we can let anyone die from give up itis in this church. It's a disease that spreads like gangrene. And the only thing that you and I can do is to make sure we come alongside people continually, whether we can read their sandwich board or not, and we inspire and encourage people in their walks with Christ. Don't give up because somebody hated on you. Listen, don't give up your gift. We all need it. So this message, it comes with homework. Y'all down with homework? Can I get a witness? I didn't think I could. I tried that in the first server. It even said it twice, and it still didn't work. Y'all with me? So I've kind of revamped everything. Y'all down with dares? I know you are. I double-dog dare you. <laughs> I just thought of the Christmas story. Y'all remember when the boy put his tongue on the, 
on the pole. <laughs> Sorry. I want to dare you to do something. Here's what the Bible says, right? Don't just be hearers of the word, but be, yeah, doers of the word. So here's what I want to uh, double dog dare you to do. Two things. One, before you leave church, I want you to encourage somebody. Inspire them, lift them up. There are people in our church, they're involved in ministry, and they feel like they're not making an influence or an impact. I want you to go and tell them how they are impacting your life. That's double dog dare number one. Here's double dog dare number two. I want you to write a letter this week of encouragement to somebody. Now, here, here's the deal. No email. I want you to get one of these things we call pens and a sheet of paper. And I want you to write a few sentences of encouragement to somebody. Y'all down with that? Look at you. Some of you already, y'all backing up on the dare. Do it. I want Concord, let me put it there. I want Claremont Post Office to be like, what in the world is going on this week? Y'all with me? <laughs> I just thought about it, a few things I'm not going to share, but they're hilarious. <laughs> y'all can get down with that, right? Encourage each other. It, it, I'm, I'm shocked. All right, here's the deal. Some of you, I know you. You're already encouragers, right? Like, here's your encourage level. Here's what I want to say to you. Excel still more. And some of you, maybe, maybe you're not an encourager. Maybe you don't seek to lift other people up. Here's what I want to say. Step up on the encouragement path. And start lifting other people up. Here's what I'm convinced of. A church has not yet fully experienced a fellowship that isn't overwhelmingly motivating and encouraging. But I think we can be that church. But it counts on you and me. Encourage somebody before you leave, write a letter this week. I want the post office to call us and be like, what in the world? Be like, get your ponies ready. <laughs> Pony Express. I'm sorry, man. I just, you know, I'm getting used to living in a small town, man, you know. Look out my window and somebody's driving down like a horse with a carriage on the back. I'm like, what in the world? Where do we live right now? It's like, what year is it? Now, here's the deal. Check it out. I'm for real. I'm fixing to be done, I promise. But don't you look at me eyeball to eyeball. Some of you don't know Jesus yet. If you die today, you'd split hell wide open. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. The wages of our sin is death. So if you die now, you're going to hell. Straightway. But here's, here's the great news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin as your substitute. He was buried and resurrected. Now the Bible says, turn from your sin, place your trust in Jesus. If you'll make that decision, you can be absolutely forgiven of all your sin, past, present, and future, and be promised an eternal home in heaven with God your Father. Right? That's a decision you need to make, right? So what am I trying to do? I'm trying to encourage you to make it. I want to inspire you to do so. It'll change your life forever. Become a disciple of Jesus, a willing follower of his. Make that decision before you leave. Amen. Let's bow. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We pray that you continue to encourage us as we walk with you uh, through Paul's letters to Timothy. We pray even for those who don't know you that you would draw them to salvation even now. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. If you need to give your life to Jesus right there where you are, admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, 
confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. Right there where you are, just pray to him, call out to him. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that. Whosoever. And if that's the prayer of your heart this morning, first step of obedience is baptism. You saw that in the very beginning of our service. First step. So in a moment, we'll stand to our feet, have an invitation, and I'm going to invite you to leave the place where you've been seated, come forward. I'll be here in the front with other guys.